0: We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audien Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out AudienHearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N-Hearing.com, and you can use code KEITH for $25 off.
1: Plus. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast. This season will be even more revealing and more personal with more entrepreneurs, more live events, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Encore, Jane, about creating a billion-dollar startup. Walter Isaacson, about the geniuses who change the world. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. So we're doing this again, huh? So we're doing Hillary Clinton's emails again, huh? So we're doing Hillary's emails again, huh, New York Times? So we're going to claim shoplifting and armed robbery with murder are the same thing, again, eh, Washington Post? So we're going to hype trivia and bury real news again, huh, CNN? So we're going to falsify the actual story so the TV version is sexier than the print version again, CBS? Late yesterday, CBS News broke a legitimate albeit likely to be obscure story which it headlined on its website and please listen carefully to its phrasing on the website: US attorney reviewing documents marked classified from Joe Biden's vice presidency found at Biden think tank. Correct. Documents marked classified. Real classification level unknown if any found at a biden think tank not at his home not in his possession not in his white house the online cbs version emphasizes that about 10 documents with the classified markings on them were found in november by biden lawyers who immediately notified the national archives that day and they were returned to the national archives the next day the cbs televised version of that As read by Nora O'Donnell, who I now regret to say began her television career on my first MSNBC show, hyped and breathless, quoting her, CBS News has learned that the Department of Justice is reviewing classified Obama-Biden records. Shame on you, Nora. And here come Hillary's emails. The New York Times, the first comparison to the Trump wholesale nuclear kleptomania is in paragraph five. It is taken seriously. The authors are Charlie Savage, Glenn Thrush, and naturally, Peter Baker. I'm surprised he didn't hold it off for a book for the year 2029. Utter failure, New York Times. Utter failure. And the Washington Post did worse. In its sub-headline to this story, quote, the case echoes the investigation into Trump's Mar-a-Lago documents. No, it doesn't. If that's in the print edition, recall all the papers and burn them and fire everybody. The conservative Washington Examiner did a far more fair report on this story than did the Washington Post. Give it away to a charity, Jeff Bezos. Utter failure. But for the journalistic train wreck of the night, of the year so far, for irresponsibility, for malpractice, for malfeasance, for conservative ass-kissing, nothing compares to what CNN did. Because... And this is extraordinary context and timing. At about 8 p.m., CNN broke a real news story, a tremendously important news story last night that special counsel Jack Smith had opened an entirely new line of investigation into Trump by subpoenaing Rudy Giuliani And a host of other Trump henchmen, and demanding that they turn over records to a federal grand jury. Records about the scam Trump ran after the 2020 election. The entire phony Save America pack and assorted similar organizations which conned thousands of stupid Americans into donating to what they thought were recounts and legal challenges on Trump's behalf. You got a coup, and then on top of the coup, you got a grift, and now the special counsel is subpoenaing over it. As I pointed out in the Olberman versus Trump series in November 2020, the fine print on the mailers from Trump's supposed campaign legal defense fund gave that game away. Quote, contributions will be allocated according to the following formula, 60% for the retirement of general election debt, 40% to the RNC's operating account. Giuliani subpoenaed amid special counsel investigation into Trump's fundraising. It's got Giuliani, it's got Trump, it's got fundraising. Follow the money. Bring in Woodward and Bernstein. And not only was CNN's Giuliani scoop their own story again, not only was it outstanding and vitally important, but in the kind of kismet that even somebody like the guy when we worked together at MSNBC, we all thought used to eat paste, the new CNN hatchet chairman, Chris Licht. Even he could understand it. And even he would start dancing in the hallways over the timing. On Sunday, CNN will premiere a documentary series about Rudy Giuliani, a documentary series about him. And here is a headline-breaking exclusive scoop about Rudy Giuliani that's 57 minutes old. So CNN's 9 p.m. hour begins with a promo for the Giuliani series. Giuliani, what happened to America's mayor? Well, I could tell you that, but good for you. And then they cut to the body double for the late-life Spencer Tracy Anderson Cooper. Breaking news tops the hour. And I think for once, CNN hype, Anderson Cooper hype, and journalism have aligned like the stars when the moon is in the seventh house. And then the world's longest-running failed TV marketing experiment, the master of the board delivery himself, Anderson Cooper in tones. Turns out the former president is not the only one with a classified documents problem. The current president has one as well. I know, because you listened to this, that you already know, you knew before I did, that all American media people pretty much divide for me into two groups and two groups alone. Those who should resign and those who should be fired. But Anderson Cooper should resign for that, and whoever wrote it for him should be fired, and whoever produced it should resign, and Chris Licht should go eat more paste. Their own story, their own superb scoop, they buried it so they could run with as naked, irresponsible, and indefensible an example of both sides-ism and whataboutism since, well... The reason we mentioned them since Hillary's emails in the worst case scenario for the sitting president of the United States, the documents in the Biden think tank compared to the documents in Trump's glorified all you can eat Florida Golden Corral, the way my Swiss army knife compares to Jack the Ripper's murder weapon for once. The assumed Mark Twain quote is a Mark Twain quote. He really said this, the difference between the almost right word and the right word is the difference between the lightning bug and lightning. This is the difference between the lightning bug, the Biden papers and lightning. Well, Anderson Cooper doesn't understand that. And Anderson Cooper's producer doesn't understand that. And Chris Licht doesn't understand that. And now, after building up a journalistic monolith on the backs of a thousand people in the 1980s, of whom I might rank as high as one thousandth, now CNN doesn't understand that. And online, CNN added to its crimes. It quoted Kevin McCarthy. Oh, really? They just found them now after all those years. Kevin McCarthy, Trump's whore, who thanked Trump after his election as Speaker of the House slash hostage, the way Dave Foley of the Kids in the Hall comedy troupe once portrayed an actress at an award ceremony, saying she wanted to thank her agent and the producers Sid and Marty Sid Martinson, and she wanted to thank Hitler. Turns out the former president is not the only one with a classified documents problem. The current president has one as well. No. No. Turns out Fox News is not the only one with an alter the facts to try to gin up the audience problem. CNN has one as well. And The Times and The Washington Post and CBS and an NBC News reporter named Ryan Nobles, who scored a hat trick of incompetence in one tweet. He wrote, quote, reports that President Biden took classified docs after leaving as vice president. Where does it say anywhere that anybody even suggested Biden took these documents? Where does it say that, Ryan Nobles? Where does it say that, NBC News? Where does it say that, NBC News chairman Cesar Conde? Where does it say that, NBC CEO Jeff Shell? Who reported that? Joe Scarborough reported that? Chuck Todd reported that? Ryan Nobles, who should be suspended for this tweet by itself, then quoted the official Biden smearer of the new Congress, James Comer, also known as Jimmy, I come from a town full of skeletons in my closet, Comer, who has been chairman of the House Oversight Committee for nearly four days saying he's writing to the White House Council and the National Archives asking for information when both were already quoted elsewhere before he asked. And Nobles and NBC and Comer all left that out. Oh, and Nobles finished his trifecta of negligence by neglecting, as everybody else has, the never-resolved, on-the-record charges from 2015 by Chairman Comer's college girlfriend, Marilyn Thomas, that he hit her repeatedly and that he threatened her life to her own mother. Those accusations have been sitting there against Comer since 2015, and it's not only appropriate to ask a sitting congressman about them, but since Comer is now the Republicans' inquisitor-in-chief, It's Torquemada. It is essential to ask him where the inquisition of him is. You know, for the sake of both sides-ism. NBC News. I was going to talk with what little breath I have about how every mainstream reporter fell for the weaponizing the government subcommittee That was in the rules package last night that none asked about or even referenced the Linder letter. That, as I mentioned in Monday's episode, precludes the Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan vow to investigate and impede ongoing criminal investigations. Ongoing criminal investigations. Oh, like like Giuliani getting subpoenaed by the Trump special counsel. Remember that story? When was that? Months ago? 1946? No. 8 p.m. last night. But. Instead of doing that, our little Hillary's email alumni reunion meeting took disgusting precedence. We're really going to do this again, Peter Baker. We're really going to do this again, Nora O'Donnell. We're really going to do this again, Anderson Cooper. But I would be nearly as bad as any of them if I did not point out at one guy and one organization and applaud Zeke Miller, Chief White House Correspondent, Associated Press, his lead on his wire news service. The Justice Department is reviewing a batch of potentially classified documents found in In the Washington office space of President Joe Biden's former institute, the White House said Monday. The AP headline reflects those similar modifications of the versions with which CNN and CBS and NBC and the Washington Post and the New York Times goosed the story, changed the facts, changed the facts. The Associated Press, under the guise of Mr. Miller's great reporting, writes in the next few graphs, small number of documents with classified markings discovered, ads found in a locked closet, ads attorneys immediately alerted the White House counsel's office, ads National Archives took custody the next day, reporting the implications and the timing are still mentioned deeper in this story. They should be mentioned deeper in the story, not in the headline. Not when Anderson Cooper and CNN bury their own scoop about Rudy Giuliani being subpoenaed to try to gain an extra 3,000 viewers, which would be the high watermark for CNN for the last six months. The AP also mentions Trump and Comer later. The AP used proportion and truth, not just facts, not supposition, not assumptions, not hype. So now we will see how long until Kevin McCarthy or James Comer complains about Zeke Miller and the Associated Press, or NBC or CNN do, or Anderson Cooper does, jackasses. Still, ahead, if you were with me yesterday, you know I have what I called in Monday's episode a bronchial thing. Maybe you hear it. <laughs> Lord knows I feel it, especially now. Turns out it's a sinus infection. It is not COVID, thankfully. My negotiation with my doctor went as follows. And don't do the podcast tonight. And I said, half of it. And my doctor said, a quarter of it. And I said, a third. And she said, Deal. So when we continue a story from the earliest days of the podcast, early September, that seems completely apropos. If it was not the day that American political media, especially but not exclusively American political TV media, lost its soul and started doing stuff like we saw last night with the Biden story, it was not that day. It was that exact year, 1998. It aired originally after Ken Starr died, and if you heard it, I did not want to mislead you. It is a rerun, but it really fits hand in glove with what CNN and NBC and CBS and the Times and posted last night about Hill Joe's document emails. It was the day that I told the president of NBC News, "Enough! I want out of the machine you have used to make money while a president is impeached as part of a long-shot coup attempt by Newt Gingrich and Ken Starr." And so the president of NBC News responded to my moral stance by sending his leg breaker to blackmail me to my face and threaten to put my parents out on the street and let them starve there. If you have not heard this story, it is worth your time. But I did want to offer that little disclaimer. It is a rerun. That's next. (coughs) This is Countdown. We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audien Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audienhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A U D I E N hearing.com and you can use code KEITH for $25 off. So today's number one story in the countdown is a little longer than usual and you're not hearing things. I am starting it a little earlier than usual. It is still about my favorite topic, me, and it is still about yesterday's story, Kenneth Starr and the damage this one man did to American society. When he passed away Tuesday afternoon, I did not choose to speak ill of the dead lightly, but I did do do so immediately and resolutely, and I was somewhat reinforced by the fact that since, hundreds of others made the same choice, some of them very, very proudly. Between what Starr did in 1998 and what he spawned in this country and the institutionalized rape scandal he covered up while president of a major university, this was a bad man. You know the public effect of that, obviously. He enabled the entire Republican, theocratic, holier-than-thou baseline, which animates the far right, their genuine belief that, A, liberals and Democrats are corrupt, and so even if they haven't done corrupt things, they are capable of doing corrupt things, therefore liberals must be suppressed and purged and their votes discounted, and B... That suppression and purging is a sacred cause, so those who carry it out, conservatives and Republicans, are entitled to break any law or ignore any ethical standards. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy in which fascists can behave subhumanly, yet be confident to their bones of their moral superiority. They haven't cheated. They have overcome. That is Ken Starr's public legacy. His private legacy is the mess that American news media remains in, particularly the curse that will, if not corrected, kill us all, both sides-ism, Chuck Todd disease, Chris Licht disease, New York Times at this Ohio diner disease. That was put into effect by the scumbag Roger Ailes at Fox News, but it was Ken Starr who gave it a veneer of respectability of, oh, we can't dismiss these sleazeballs because even if they are sleazeballs, they have public support. And, and and boy, Bill Clinton doesn't look good, does he? Instead of saying what American news used to say to sleazeballs of any party, like Roger Ailes, screw you, we are going to write or broadcast about your perfidy every day until you die. Do not challenge us. They looked at Ken Starr's reed-thin persecution of Bill Clinton and said... Well, no, they found nothing in two months uh, or six months or or two years. But what if they find something like tomorrow and, and it turns out we oppose them? We'll get killed by the right wing media. Screw the right wing media. And worse yet, Starr played American news media, especially TV, especially, especially cable TV, like the proverbial $2 banjo from the West Wing. No news in the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal? No problem. A quick phone call by Star or somebody in his office or somebody connected to somebody in his office to Lisa Myers at NBC or any of several correspondents at CNN or ABC or CBS or anybody, literally anybody at Fox. Tell the switchboard operator. And suddenly there was breaking news about the Clinton Lewinsky scandal. And another alleged victim was ready to do a teary on camera interview, which had already aired a dozen times on that network with hundreds of clips from it on every other network before anybody realized that the alleged victim hadn't actually alleged anything it was putrid and worse it was profitably putrid and if you questioned it if you said uh excuse me uh Keith in the back. This isn't journalism. The other networks, the other newspapers invested in the story, a real-time 24-7 soap opera, basically for free. Those other newspapers and networks went to any lengths to attack you for daring to question it. And your own network? Well, that's why I wanted to tell this story in full. I never have told it before, Almost by accident, I had become the face of the star Clinton Lewinsky story on actual cable news, the stuff that wasn't Fox. And one day I decided to get out. And the reaction at MSNBC and NBC News and the NBC company was to prevent me from getting out, to literally threaten my career, threaten my income, threaten my future, threaten my family to try to force me to keep pushing what Ken Starr was cooking back in his meth lab. And until you are in the middle of something like this, you can never really imagine what television news executives will do for ratings or money. I had already been in television for 16 years. I was already 39 years old. I'd already been through the grinding machinery of local news in Boston and Los Angeles. I'd already made my mark at SportsCenter, and I thought I had seen it all. ha, <laughs> ha, I had not, however, seen Andy Lack. The president of NBC News, nor had I imagined that he would actually have an employee try to blackmail me, to literally threaten to bankrupt me and to bankrupt my parents and put them, as Lack's employee phrased it, quote, out on the street. This was in the late spring of 1998. I had decided I did not want to do the nightly show anymore that was devoted to covering the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky story, whether or not there was any story about it or not. And especially since the network was devoted to portraying Clinton Lewinsky as the worst thing that had happened in America since the Civil War. The problem was the shows I did for Andy Lack's MSNBC in 1998 were making millions of dollars a week in profit, and the rest of MSNBC was losing money hand over fist. I wanted to do something else anything else. Inside NBC? Fine. Outside NBC? I get it. Stay in news? Sure. Back to sports? Sure. In New York? Sure. In Los Angeles? Whatever. Anything except that show. So through his personnel vice president, Elena Nakmanoff, came a message from Andy Lack in May of 1998. If you go see our personnel consultant, Deborah Byrne, and you talk to her frankly, we will consider letting you leave nbc so i went first off nakmanoff told me on friday afternoon june 5th 1998 some of us understand where you're coming from about the madness of covering this scandal every night like this i'll skip the rest of my impression that's what she sounded like so you're the good sport award winner for doing this today keith You'll like Deborah Byrne. She's a certified social worker, and she's done great things for us. Saved a lot of people who were in trouble. I don't mean ethical crises like yours, Keith. I mean people passed out drunk at their desks. Somehow this did not reassure me. Elena Nakmanoff then walked me through a labyrinth of hallways at 30 Rock in New York to the office of this Deborah Byrne. She was a bespectacled, bent-looking woman of 50, 60, 120 with badly dyed hair and a fiercely aggressive handshake. She was not big, but frankly, I was not convinced I could take her in a fight. And from the get-go, her manner suggested it might just come to that. "'I am not an employee of NBC or MSNBC, and I am not beholden to them,' Deborah Byrne began. "'I'll drop this impression, too. "'I work on a contractual basis, meaning I don't get 10% of anything, "'and I don't get money for attracting more business.'" It was clear that whatever money they did give Deborah Byrne, it did not go to her office decor. There were a dozen filing cabinets, no windows, two lamps, her high-backed chair, a metal desk, and the plain wooden chair at its side on which I now sat. I'm not here to be critical of NBC or MSNBC or Andy Lack. I'm not here to be critical of you. I'm an impartial observer, and I'm simply here to help. Elena Nachmanoff, the talent vice president, was still with us in the room, and Byrne turned to her. For the record, Elena, I need you to describe the company's position about Keith's employment. Keith understand I'm sorry. Keith understands that if he chooses not to work for NBC as NBC wants him to work, he will have to face consequences. This was a completely different Elena Nakmanoff than the one I had just talked to in her own office. Gone was the you're the winner of the Good Sport Award, crap. Obviously, we're not going to release you from your contract, Keith. If you want to be on the beach for two years, plus that remain on the contract, so be it. That's his contract status, Deborah, With a crisp thanks, Deborah Byrne now dismissed the vice president of NBC News. Byrne produced and opened an improbably large folder with my name on it in improbably large letters, obviously written that way so I could read it ostentatiously shuffled quickly through a hundred assorted documents, got to a blank form of some kind and asked me to describe the circumstances that had brought me into her office. I explained my conviction that I had made a complete mistake into going into news, at least the news we were doing on MSNBC, that I missed sports actually, and that on top of that, there now had emerged this new kind of news, which I felt was against my ethics and my beliefs about what I should be doing or what the media should be doing. I threw in the word pollution a couple of times. Deborah Byrne did not look up at me once. All of media is becoming polluted in the way you've described. She yanked off her glasses and stared at me, not with anger, but with annoyance. You should learn how to live with it. It'll be a lot easier for everybody if you just do that. You're not a child. Grow up. Maybe next time you'll learn to read the contract before you sign it. I had to fight a smile, and in fact, I had to fight a laugh. This was not some sort of counselor. This woman sitting across from me was Andy Lack's enforcer. She would be breaking my legs before we were done. I did read the contract thoroughly, Ms. Byrne. This is not about the contract. I calmed down. This is about my, you know, morals. Nobody else's, not NBC's, not Andy Lack's, just mine. I don't like the way the news industry is handling this story. I have no delusion about being able to change it. I don't even feel it's my responsibility to try to change it. This is about about me and my ethics and my incorrect choices relating to doing the news or doing the sports. She put her glasses back on, wrote a few notes, chuckled as she did so. You may indeed miss sports, as you put it, and you may feel that sincerely, but it's nonetheless an adolescent fantasy. And as to the pollution of the media, that's also part of this fantasy world you live in. You're grown-up now, and you have to live with the consequences of your actions. You heard what Elena said. If you try to break this contract, NBC will punish you severely. This is David and Goliath here, Keith, and you're just not seeing it. Well, this was something new. She was right. I was not seeing it. But within minutes, she would define her vision of David and Goliath. She, Andy Lack, Elena Nachmanoff, and NBC News, they were David, and Goliath would be my mom and dad. How she and NBC threatened to literally put my folks on the street, when Countdown continues after this. We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audien Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out audienhearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's audienhearing.com, and you can use code KEITH for $25 off No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. To the second half of the top story and in the wake of the death of Kenneth Starr, how NBC News tried to threaten me into continuing the nightly Ken Starr, Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky show that was making them millions and making me crazy in the year 1998. And I take you back to June 5th of that year. We are still in the office of Deborah Byrne, certified social worker, employee of NBC News or not, depending on which way she told it somebody, NBC News President Andy Lack and Vice President Elena Nakmanoff, had asked me to see in hopes that it would help me with the stress of doing the Clinton show, and if I did so, perhaps open a way for me to leave the program or even the network. This woman, Byrne, had just said, if you try to break this contract, NBC will punish you severely. This is David and Goliath here, Keith, and you're just not seeing it. I started to reply something about how I had come there in a gesture of compromise when she shouted me down. You'll have to learn to compromise. She emphasized the word as if I not only had not just said it, but as if she had just invented it. This is what the company wants, this is what the audience wants, and you signed this contract. That's your responsibility. I've been an NBC employee for 20 years, and they're very big, and they're very successful, and they just won't sit idly by. This will be David Goliath, and I'm very sorry to have to break it to you, but you're not Goliath. I asked her why she had just said she'd been an NBC employee for 20 years, two minutes after telling me she was not an NBC employee. She wrote that down. Otherwise, she just kept talking. Television viewers are fickle. And if you're off the air for two years, it'll be real difficult to get back on. People will forget you. That's the real world. Now Deborah Byrne paused and looked over away from me and at nothing. And her tone changed. I have a daughter who isn't realistic. She suddenly began to whisper. Just like you, she lives in a world of her own. She judges others and moralizes to them, too. She's tall like you are, too. It's difficult for parents to have to look up at their children and discipline them. Your height, your height has always made it difficult for your parents to discipline you. Thus, you remain a headstrong child. As disturbing as this was getting on one level, I really did think somebody was going to pop out from between the file cabinets and tell me I'd been punked or that this was candid camera or something. I patiently explained to this Deborah Byrne that I had not been born at my current height and that, in fact, my father was still taller than I was until I got to college. "'But your mother is short!' she blurted with great satisfaction. "'I need descriptions of your parents, of their personalities, for my diagnosis, and please stop giving me your obviously prepared answers.' I started to describe my parents. This ordinarily would take several days, but I gave them the short version. She cut me off. "'Father, passive, of course.' I said, no, no, that that wasn't him at all, that he usually did what he damned well pleased. This annoyed Deborah Byrne. No, he's passive. I can tell. I'm a professional, Keith. He didn't stand up to your mother, did he? He never told her to grow up or act her age, did he? That means he was passive. I could see her writing. She was writing the word passive in big block letters on one of the forms on which she had been putting her notes. She detached it theatrically and stuck it onto the large pile of documents and grabbed a fresh page from a stack to her right. What about your parents' finances? I explained they were both retired. So you take care of them. I began to answer that they were both extremely independent. She cut me off again. I said, so you are responsible for them financially. Don't evade me. My amusement at what was obviously a deranged person began to be overcome by anger. I swallowed both of these emotions and explained that, yeah, I, I handled their finances. So you're their sole financial support, just as Elena Nakmanov's report to me indicates I thought so. So you're the superstar in the family, are you? I began to try to explain when Deborah Byrne rose in her chair and leaned in toward me. And tell me, Keith, what exactly will your parents do for money? What will keep them from being out on the street when their precious superstar is blacklisted from all of television? This purported social worker who worked for NBC or did not work for NBC, or maybe both, I could no longer keep it clear, went into detail about the threat she was now making on behalf of General Electric Corporation, NBC, NBC News, MSNBC, Andy Lack, and Elena Nakmanoff. And for all I knew, Matt Lauer and Tom Brokaw. Even if I just quit the Clinton Lewinsky show, indeed quit television, she said, NBC would continue to enforce my contract and suspend me, so not pay me on my contract, and then sue me for the salary they had already paid me, then sue me for the money they had spent on promoting the show, then get a court order extending my contract indefinitely, and then suspend me indefinitely. Let that sink in she said, then did not pause for even a second to let me let that sink in. Instead, she burst out with this. You have what I would classify as a Howard Stern kind of personality. Remembering that I had met Howard on a tour of Boston University in 1974, I actually had to bite my tongue to keep from laughing at the image of a bunch of therapists at a conference somewhere dryly discussing the parameters of the Howard Stern kind of personality dogmatic unbending presenting absolutely forceful opinions on the air that no one is permitted to disagree with imagine going on a date with howard stern all he would be doing would be talking about himself It would be unbearable you're like him on the air and i can see that who you are on the air is who you are in life of course i've never seen your show i don't have cable ever been married i had a slight case of whiplash i recovered from the non-sequiturs though enough to explain that i had not been married engaged Again, no. Ever had a long-term relationship of any kind? I told her I had. Oh, really? How long-term? He said, uh, 11 years. And when did that end? I calculated it had ended four years previously, to the month exactly. And you haven't had an 11-year relationship since? I explained to her then as pleasantly as possible that I did not know of any way of squeezing an 11-year-long relationship into four years so that the answer would have to be no. I told you to stop giving me your prepared answers. Right then, again, she switched tones and topics. How much do you drink, she demanded. I said, I almost never drank. She dropped her pen and stared at me again. Well, what does that mean? I said, I believed I'd had... Four glasses of wine during the current calendar year. I and mean, it was June. She took the glasses off and leaned in as far as she could without again rising from her chair or falling off it. Well then, how much drug do you do? Told her I'd never used drug or drugs stronger than alcohol. And before I could criticize her grammar, she got red and angry. Then what's that smell on your breath? Look, you you just don't get this, do you? Look at my telephone, Keith. I did as instructed. I looked at an ordinary black telephone, although given her manifest insanity, for all I knew, she would shortly reveal it was a direct line to Elvis Presley. If I didn't want a black telephone, and I have a black telephone, I'll just have to make the best of it, won't I? I said I thought she was holding up very well under the strain of that disappointment. I instantly regretted the snideness of that remark, because it was just going to make things worse. And then, to my astonishment, she sat back in her chair, ran her hand through her hair, and almost whispered, "'Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it.'" The pause in the storm did not last long. "'You're seeing a therapist,' it says here. "'You've been discussing these so-called ethical issues?' I said, we'd made a lot of progress. Well, you can't resolve the work matters without getting at the core problems, which are obviously personal and family-related, not to mention the alcohol and the drug. So talking about work with your therapist is probably not going to solve this to the satisfaction of NBC. So I will need to talk to your therapist, and I want you to sign a release here and now permitting me to do so, unless that is this therapist of yours is working towards making you adjust to the facts that you signed this contract and this is your job and this is the real world and this is David and Goliath and that's all there is to it and you're on the air tonight at eight o'clock and that's it. Now she paused and stared off into space again like when she mentioned her daughter. When I was in my early 20s, I was traveling from Smith College to Montreal by train, she suddenly announced. My meeting with her went on for two hours. It featured threats against my parents. It had her yelling at me. It had her accusing me of using alcohol and drug. And yet, this this was the only point where I really considered trying to make a break for the door. The Montreal Canadiens hockey team were on that train, very drunk, very happy, very boastful of their conquests during their trips to the various cities of their hockey league, and one of them, I suspect given your fantasy world interest in sports, you may have heard of him, Boom Boom Jeffrey on. he came over and tried to pick me up. I nodded robotically and began to wonder if I suddenly leaped from the wooden chair and did run out of her office, would she continue to tell this story anyway after I left? We didn't talk of such things then, not in the 1950s, a married man, an athlete, a tall athlete. Now, of course, if I was a reporter and this happened, I'd have to report it. I'd put it on the news. That's just the way the world has changed. The real world, that is, Keith. I suggested that at every news organization for which I had worked, the code had been the same, that unless an incident involved the law or it diminished a player's ability or availability in a game, we, in fact, didn't report it like at ESPN. I related a story similar to her own that had occurred in Miami at the past World Series in 1997. Well, she resumed indignantly, you might have gotten away with that under an old contractor in the 60s where a hippie like you might have fit in. But this isn't the 60s. This is the real world of today. And you won't get away with that kind of attitude under this contract or any other contract in the future. You could even go back to your precious sports and you'd soon find out about the real world. Don't kid yourself. It'll be David and Goliath. I said that the decision not to report the story in Miami was made under this contract by executives from NBC Sports, and now she sat bolt upright and slammed her glasses back on her face. I can't get this done in just one session, you know. Deathly afraid that she was about to recite another memory from the glorious days of rail travel, I agreed to return the following Thursday, knowing full well, as I said so, that I would never come back to her office, even as a hostage or in a body bag. Well, I don't know about you, she said as she opened her door, but I'm exhausted. I told her, indeed, so was I, which was rather unfortunate because now I had to go do two live hours of television. Yes, I guess you do. She suddenly stared at my feet, then quickly up at my head, as if she were estimating what size I took in caskets. But you're so much taller than I am, so you'll recover more quickly. (laughs) MSNBC had arranged a car service to take me out to the studios in New Jersey from 30 Rock, and I spent the entire trip writing all this down. Pages and pages of notes and quotes and boom, boom, Jeffrey on and my own height at birth. And I called my therapist on my phone and I asked her if there was a New York state number that I could call to complain about a certified social worker who seemed to be certifiable and who had just threatened me. She gave me a number. I called while still in the car and they said they had no record of any social worker named Deborah Byrne. When I got to the MSNBC studios in Secaugus, New Jersey, now the home of MLB Network of all things, I went to my little office, I picked up a small micro-cassette tape recorder that I kept in the desk there, and I went in to see my executive producer, Phil Griffin. I explained how this woman Byrne had threatened me and I mentioned that I'd called the state social worker hotline and appeared that Deborah Byrne was operating without a license. And as I did this, I kept flipping that mini cassette machine from hand to hand until I was sure Phil Griffin had gotten the implication. Completely phony on my part, but like James Jones says in Field of Dreams, there are rules here? No, there are no rules here. My executive producer buried his head in his hands needless to say the deborah byrne thing had blown up in nbc's face they went into a full-fledged panic at the news that she was not registered as a certified social worker and it turned out that was a clerical mistake it was her own clerical mistake she was registered but she was registered only under her maiden name but for the next few weeks nbc was completely on the defensive about me Soon they were promising to make me Tom Brokaw's heir apparent if I would only stay. I said, yeah, but it says in Brian Williams' contract that he's Tom Brokaw's heir apparent. The executive in question laughed and said, no, Brian only thinks it says in Brian Williams' contract that he's Tom Brokaw's heir apparent. It can be you. Stick with the Lewinsky story. Oh, and lay off Ken Starr. I didn't have to think that one through too long. If they could make poor Brian think that he was the heir apparent when he wasn't, they could make me think I was the heir apparent when I wasn't as well. And that price laying off Ken Starr, that was a non-starter. The stalemate continued for a few weeks until, as I have related here previously, a friend in the sports division revealed that NBC had lied to me to get me to sign my contract with them, that I was not being paid, as they had told me, primarily by the news division, but by the sports division. I then met with Monica Lewinsky's first lawyer, Bill Ginsburg, to discuss suing NBC over such illegal negotiation tactics. Ginsburg thought just leaking the fact that we had met would spring me. Sure enough, about six weeks later, Landon Ackmanoff suddenly called my agent and told her they were willing to sell my contract to Fox Sports in Los Angeles. Yippee! So do not doubt what television executives are willing to do to protect their ratings and their profits, even in the event of full-fledged fascism. And do not doubt what a zealot with even minimal skills at media manipulation like Ken Starr can do to the news you watch or hear or read, even after he's dead. Also, most relevantly now, as CNN's talent, face the prospect of conforming to the right-wing party line or suddenly finding themselves with a conservative co-host or finding themselves unemployed, there's one more MSNBC story to tell that is relevant. I went back there in 2003 and uh, we did pretty well. And then in 2010, they began to pressure me to change my tone and to add in more diverse voices. And they did not mean women or members of minority groups or people like I'd hired, like Rachel Maddow. They meant conservative diverse voices. That's when I began to pack my bags to leave. And a few months later, I left. And then four years later, they asked me to come back as long as I agreed to have a conservative co-host. I passed but here's the problem I don't know anybody else pressured in those ways who has also passed not at CNN not at MSNBC not anywhere else do not doubt what some television talents are willing to do just to remain television talents Countdown has come to you from the studios of Ulrun Broadcasting Empire World Headquarters in the Sports Capsule Building in New York. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of the music, including our theme from Beethoven's Ninth, was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown musical directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Produced by TKO Brothers. Oxygen came in a can other beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by no horns allowed the sports music which was not played today is the overman theme from espn 2 and it was written by mitch warren davis courtesy of espn inc musical comments were by nancy faust except there weren't any today she is of course the best baseball stadium organist ever and our announcer today was nobody because we didn't play an announcement but everything else is pretty much my fault That is Countdown for this, the 738th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. I'll try to be back with a full new episode tomorrow. The sinus infection, of course, has the final decision on that. Until whenever, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. And wish me good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We all know someone with hearing loss, maybe even struggle with it ourselves. But unfortunately, hearing aids cost thousands, which most people just can't afford. Now there's an alternative. A company called Audien Hearing just released new over-the-counter hearing aids for only $189, and they sound amazing. Highly recommended for anyone with hearing loss. Check out AudienHearing.com for their 45-day risk-free trial. That's A-U-D-I-E-N-Hearing.com, and you can use code KEITH for $25 off.
1: Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast. This season will be even more revealing and more personal, with more entrepreneurs, more live events, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Encore Jane, about creating a billion-dollar startup. Walter Isaacson, about the geniuses who change the world. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,